Basketball on the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I am joined by the czar of Silver Screen and Roll, Harrison Fagan himself. What's up, Harrison? I'm not sure if that was like a backhanded like introduction or whatever. Like like czar of Silver Screen Roll. I don't know if that implies that I'm some sort of totalitarian or like something beyond an editor in terms of like how <laughs> iron fisted I rule. So um I was doing better before that intro, is how I'll answer. <laughs> You know, I uh, I have a fond fondness for Russian history, so it's it's really just how that came up. Been watching a lot of Jeopardy recently. So now you're comparing yeah. our, our how our site runs to Russian history. This is not you're not making this better <laughs> on yourself. Just you know, trying to bring a little culture to the podcast. That's all it is. <laughs> all I right. have I I just ha- I have no more words for that. <laughs> like I, I may just log off early. We'll see how the rest of this goes. <laughs> all right. Well, I very much appreciate you joining me today, Harrison. Uh, it's a fun time to be a Laker fan, even though the Lakers lost last night to the Orlando Magic. Honestly, I I can't say I've ever been that impressed after a loss, especially one that the Lakers have had this season, but I kind of forgot that they didn't even win because there were a lot of good things to come out of that game, and that's kind of how I feel generally about the Lakers at this midpoint of the season. 41 games in, they've won 33 of them, far more than I expected at this point, so you know, I think it's safe to say that general good vibes surround the team right now. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so the weird thing for me is I'm coming on a podcast the day after my day off. So I didn't actually watch the game last night. And mm-hmm. I am getting like you saying that really sums up the weird vibes that I've gotten about that game. Like everybody seemed like it seemed like it was a disappointing loss because they went down big. But then everybody was actually like seemed to have mostly positive and like like normal reactions after a loss, which I think that might be the first loss this year that no one's kind of like, we haven't had like a crazy off their rocker take afterwards. <laughs> so I think the Lakers have finally, like midway point of the season, we finally, we figured out where the sample size is, where people stop overreacting to every single one individual result, because I, I was, I was impressed. Like, you know, they, they, they barely lost at the end and people just kind of were like, yeah, you know, teams lose sometimes. And I was like, wow, I really wish that this was the night that I was working so that I didn't have to deal with the madness, but you know, that's how it always works out. Who knew it only took 41 games to get a little perspective? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the only conclusion that I can come to about it. But, you know, like, I think, I mean, it makes sense because halfway through, we finally do have like a decent sized sample size. Yeah, absolutely. And I personally, I just can't be too offended by the Lakers losing a game where they didn't have AD, Rondo, and three quarters of Caruso. So. It is you know? hilarious that Rondo has made his way in there now after like <laughs> he had like one, I think, yeah, like really one good game. Um, and like he, he's made it back in there. It's like he was a loss and that wasn't like a bonus. But yeah, like no, no, not having Caruso for a half is a big deal. And we've almost forgotten like Frank Vogel made the joke after practice the other day that like, you know, the Lakers are undefeated without Anthony. He's like, I'm not going to joke that we don't need him, but we are undefeated without him. And uh, over the last like three games or whatever. And so I guess what we do, the real thing is what we figured out is that the Lakers do need Anthony Davis. I think that's my big first half of takeaway. Yeah, I guess that's a couple of streaks that came to an end last night. I was thinking more about the sub 500 streak, but yeah, the, the undefeated without Anthony Davis streak also took a hit last night. So, oh, well. 
it some happens. things are just too pure for this world. <laughs> <laughs> Over 41 games, as we've learned, things happen. <laughs> All right. So given that we are at the midseason point, I thought it'd be a nice time to look back and see what really sticks out from the first part of this Lakers season. I mean, I, you know, going into this year, I thought this might be a little more dour note, but a lot of, a lot of fun moments to me that have uh, impressed from the Lakers over this first part of the year. You know, they sit in first place in the Western Conference, four games up on Denver and Utah, their second best record in the NBA, four separate win streaks of seven games plus. So not, not a lot of negativity that's going to come in today. So on that note, I wanted to start with what do you think was the best Lakers win of this first half of the season? So I was pretty indecisive on this. And I think a little bit of it is recency bias that I think we're all Mm -hmm. prone to. Like for me, one of them, one of the candidates was the Thunder win on Saturday, just because Mm -hmm. I was so impressed by the fact that that team, like I kind of thought that they had enough competitiveness that they wouldn't just roll over. I just didn't think that they had the talent to even like to, to win that game or like really even keep it that close, given how well the Thunder had been playing and much less like blow them out from almost end to end. Like there was a little bit of a scare coming down the stretch. I think the Thunder got it within like 14 ish or something, but Mm -hmm. like, that was an incredible win and incredible effort just from everyone across the board. I think the Lakers showed that they might have a little bit more depth than people maybe previously thought. Uh, you know, I think on some level they got a little lucky maybe catching the Thunder on an off night, but and mm-hmm. the Thunder kind of overlooking them, it seemed like. But I was just really impressed with the fight the team showed, and I think it really, uh, like it really showed the type of mindset that this team has developed this year in that they really want, do want to like from the, we don't want to load manage to everything like their mindset across the board has been like, we are taking every single game seriously. And I think that that just really epitomized that the only, the other one that I had was the first win against the Mavs just because like, you know, it was an overtime game. They had to come back at the end on national TV. It was kind of their national TV coming out party because they had just lost to the Clippers. And that was like, you know, the big storyline over the first couple games of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, And to, and then just like the togetherness that the team showed while they were doing that. And like, also, you know, just take it to overtime and then kind of blow the Mavs out there, showed the Lakers were more experienced, kind of prove their, you know, I don't want to say championship medal because it is just the Mavs. Like we don't know, even know what level of playoff team they will be, but I thought it showed a lot of fight and a lot of like, uh, you know, resiliency and also just like Dwight Howard's gleefully illegal screen <laughs> at the end, just like daring the referees to do anything. Like he literally like almost bear hugged Seth Curry so that Danny Green could get that three and like the refs didn't call it. And the last two minute report announcing that was like some of the hardest I've laughed at Mavs fans maybe ever. <laughs> like just like, yeah, like no duh. That was really, really illegal. Like in the moment. Um, so I think those are my two nominees. What what were what did you have on your list? I know it's funny uh, that Dwight illegal screen. In, in terms of the the pantheon of illegal screens in recent Lakers history, I still think it falls behind all of the screens Julius Randle set in Kobe's last game. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I'm not arguing there. Yeah, <laughs> Julius Randle was playing a different sport than basketball that <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, but I I do think it was kind of like the first moment where Laker fans got to fall in love with Dwight again this year. But yeah. Uh, It's funny that you brought up that game against Dallas. Uh, One of my candidates, which I didn't end up picking as my best win, was the Lakers' second win against Dallas because they had been so thoroughly defeated by Dallas in that second matchup when, you know, there was that narrative, oh, the Lakers don't actually beat good teams. And then they came back and, I mean, very, very comfortably handled the Mavericks. 
and with like know, a great game plan too. And right, like, exactly. Yeah. The fact that they, you know, busted out a little bit of his own defense, they contained Luca better than I thought possible. Like it was it was never really in doubt during that game. And just the fact that they were able to rebound and adjust from their mistakes in the previous matchup was was really impressive because like I I don't know that we give Frank Vogel enough credit for his overarching, you know, strategic implementation. So that was nice to see that the coaching staff was able to figure out lessons from a previous matchup and apply them so successfully against, you know, again, we don't consider the Mavericks to be one of the top tier Western conference contenders, but they're still a pretty good team. And to be able to win that comfortably and decisively was very impressive to me, but I have two major contenders. Uh, One of them is when the Lakers beat Utah on the second night of the back-to-back after playing Denver. So that was the week that they had that aforementioned loss to the Mavericks, and they had basically spent all of November beating up on cupcakes, yeah. for lack of a better word. And they went into Denver. They won, but you know it was a close game. Could have potentially gone either way at the end of the game. And then they get this back-to-back, which seems like a just schedule loss because yeah. you have to go from Denver altitude to Utah altitude. Utah's just waiting for them. Uh, it ended up being that Mike Conley wasn't playing, but I'm not sure at this point whether the Jazz are better with or without Mike Conley. So yeah. <laughs> that's a little unclear to me. But they just went into Utah and stomped on the Jazz. Like it was, it was not even close. Uh, I consider Utah to be one of one of the upper tier teams in terms of the contenders. And like from the minute that game began, there was no doubt that the Lakers took this really seriously. Uh, Ron was fantastic. AD was fantastic. There's really no hope from first half on and the the level of preparedness like the I think Christian Rivas likes to point this out that the Lakers are undefeated on back-to-backs this season which is stupid considering how old this team is yeah Um, no that's that that's one of the more that and the until last night they were undefeated against below 500 teams those stats were just insane like that those (laughs) are all ones that go back to that theme of like taking every single opponent seriously I think yeah absolutely so the game against Utah is one of my personal favorites. And then another candidate that I had for best win was when they played in Miami uh, the following Ooh, week. Ooh, that was a great one. First of all, yeah. visually speaking, this was one of the most fun games I've ever watched just because Miami was wearing their Vice jerseys, the blue ones, and the Lakers were wearing their City jerseys, which, I mean, they're, they're a little wonky looking, but uh, just like the blue and pink court with the blue and yellow jerseys was so pretty. <laughs> like, I don't know that I've ever seen an NBA game with such an interesting color palette. It was a a very visually pleasing game. Yeah. Yeah. And then Miami was undefeated at home to that point. I still think that the Lakers are the only team to have won in American Airlines Arena the entire season. And that game was so tight the entire way through, just back and forth. The Lakers fell down early. Uh, They had to have really gutty performances from Caruso and LeBron James in that first half just to stay in it. There was so many clutch situations down the stretch where the Lakers had to execute. I think it came down to, uh, I want to say Jimmy Butler missing a jumper at the buzzer that would have either tied or give Miami the lead at the end of regulation, but just such a fun game, you know, back and forth where, you know, the team had to execute on so many consecutive possessions. And and if I remember correctly, the Lakers kind of had a crazy play themselves to take the lead at the end. I'm I'm blanking on what it was, but I, I, that was a very helter skelter game down the stretch. Right. It was all over the place. It felt like one of those, uh, it felt very much like a playoff game, which yeah. it's hard to, you know, approximate that energy when a West Coast team is playing an Eastern Conference team, just because there isn't that like inherent rivalry at play, but it was so entertaining. Like just one of the most fun games I've watched the Lakers play in a while. And the fact that they were able to 
come out with a win against a really, really good team. You know, uh, I think, oh, you know what it was at the end? Like uh, KCP kept going to the line and like just not being able to make enough free throws to put it away. Yeah, this uh, was back during, still during KCP struggle season. Potentially, yeah. Uh, one of the games where you remember that the Lakers are not a great free throw shooting team. Uh, one of the deficiencies that they still have, unfortunately. But yeah, just a really, really fun game. Great win to pull out on the road. Uh, I, I never trust the Lakers in Florida for whatever reason. It's very hard to win games in Miami and Orlando. But that was during that stretch where every time the Lakers were in a close game, they just seemed to pull it out. So I think that takes the cake for my favorite win of the year. Yeah, honestly, like reconsider it. Like that, that has to be up there. I still think that I'd probably like having talked about all of these now. I'd probably lean towards the Mavs one just because I think mm-hmm. that's the one that I personally had the most fun watching, right. uh, and it was just the newest. I think of like the idea, this idea that oh yeah, like the Lakers are good now. And they mm-hmm. win games like this. Like, they can come right. from behind and, like, show a little bit of fight down the stretch or whatever. Like, that just hasn't been the case over the last couple of years. So, I think for me, it, like, I'd probably lean that one. But I think the Heat one also has a really good case. Yeah, and I think just the fact that we have so many legitimate contenders is a, is a nice place to be. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, I said there wasn't going to be a ton of negativity on this podcast. But I do think it's worth considering what the worst loss the Lakers have suffered in their first 41 games. Now, granted, just, not a ton to choose from. just made several people rage quit the show. Not like, a ton to choose from. <laughs> but what was uh, on your list, Harrison? Uh, so for me, I think, it, I, for me, this was pretty simple. I think it's either the Clippers losses, just because that has ultimately been the other thing that's defined this season is like anytime the Lakers do anything, it's like, yeah, well, but still 0-2 against the Clippers. And like, there's that constant kind of prod and counter argument against like anything they do being legitimate. And like on some level, that's fair, right? Because the Clippers are the team that they're most likely going to have to, or one of the teams that they're most likely going to have to beat if they want to win uh, like an NBA title, the Clippers, the Bucks, like they're 0-3 against those teams. And right now those look like kind of, the biggest roadblocks to the Lakers like getting contention and whatever. And so, but the Clippers, I think especially just because even though I feel like this rivalry is a little bit trumped up and not really that legitimate yet, like it does seem to be something that people are finally starting to buy into after like, what is it like almost 10 years now of the media trying to sell it on us, like sell us on it since the Chris Paul trade. Like it finally is starting to feel a little bit real, especially between the fans. Like I think fans are actually starting to take it seriously. And um, so I think for that reason, the first one I would say just because it was, it was just a gut punch way to start the season. And like it just it made it it really exposed the Lakers flaws on night one, like that they just did not have that secondary ball handler other than LeBron James that they could go to consistently, even though Rondo was hurting that one, like and he ended up ultimately coming back and making kind of a difference for this team at times and other times not really. Um, That's still obviously a flaw and the Clippers really kind of showed that to the world on night one and I think affected the narrative about the Lakers to the point where they really had to go like like basically undefeated for like almost the next month to right. get people to start to buy into them again. And then the second one is the Christmas day game, just because like, I mean, number one for me personally, that was my first ever Christmas day game. And just, it really seemed like the Lakers were going to pull that one out. And the amount of things that went wrong for them down the stretch, like that almost didn't feel like a legit loss just because of how much luck the Clippers got. And like, they deserve credit for continuing to fight. I'm not like saying that they didn't really win it, but that really felt more like a Lakers loss than a Clippers win. 
Um, and like, just because, you know, like there were the dumb fouls, the bad turnovers, like all that Mm -hmm. stuff that ended up ultimately doing them in. It was less about the Clippers and it was more about the Lakers just making mistakes. And so I I think those two were the top, probably two for me. I think probably having said them out loud, I lean towards the first one. So I actually ended up going with the Christmas loss as the worst one for me. Okay. Uh, So we disagree. (laughs) Right. Mostly because... I know everyone expected the Lakers to win opening night just because the Clippers were without Paul George. And it was sort of like, well, if the Lakers can't beat the Clippers in this state, then what hope do they have going forward? But just because the Lakers were such a new team, I just, I don't even feel like the Lakers, their rotations or the way they run their actions is comparable like to what they looked like on opening night. It's such a different team that we saw mm-hmm. even last night relative to what happened on October 22nd. And, you know, like you said, Rondo was out. Uh, Caruso was a DNP. Like it's, it's just a fundamentally different rotation than what we saw then. So I don't, I don't take away a ton from that opening night matchup, even though, like you said, it just kind of put a downer on the start of the season. But for me, Christmas, just because, so I was also there first Christmas game. You and I were talking at halftime and I know it was our, it was very, our first very Christmas. Good moves. Yeah. <laughs> the, it was the first Christmas we've ever spent together. I did not yeah. expect to ever say that about any of my, like anyone that I worked with just say, <laughs> yeah, I spent Christmas with my coworkers today, but you know, it worked out. I mean, it, it kind of worked out because while it was, you know, delightful to spend Christmas with you, uh, the Lakers did not make it very pleasant, you know, towards the second half of that game. And I think the fact that they played so well for so such long stretches of that game and still were not able to pull it out against what I would assume to be their chief Western conference rival. If we're talking about, you know, winning the conference this season just was so disappointing. And like you said, so much of it was self-inflicted. Like they had so many chances to win this game, to put it away. They had double digit leads in the second half and were unable to capitalize on those opportunities. Uh, I, I like, I think you put it very well. I think of the opening night game as a Clippers win. I think of the Christmas game as a Lakers loss. And that's what just made it so much more unpleasant to have to deal with, to know that there were chances for the Lakers to take control and they were unable to do that. Yeah. And like, that was the thing was like, that was the first one, even after the opening night loss, the Lakers almost like just played it off. Like, this is a, you know, it's game one, it's whatever. Right. Like, and most teams are going to say that after the Clippers loss, that was one of the few times the season where I've seen that veneer crack of like, we're taking it one game at a time, whatever, like in the locker room that felt like a team that was pretty upset with themselves at, at the bare minimum. Like Danny Green basically, you know, like like he looked like he was about to tear up. I, he was really upset with himself for those fouls down the stretch. And, you know, I think all the guys were about as down as they've been this year, I would say. Right, and it came, you know, fourth consecutive loss in that stretch when yep. the Lakers had spent so much of the season saying we don't want to lose back-to-back games. And, you know, that's it's a couple more than back-to-back games. Uh, they lost back-to-back-to-back-to-back games. Right. And, I mean, it was tempting to, like, go into the regular season and think that the Lakers were fully formed because we'd spent so much of the preseason playing the Golden State Warriors, which, in hindsight, was probably a bad way to judge how the Lakers were going to look. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that was – I mean, the one thing that we got from that was the Lakers have a very imposing front court, and then, like, yeah. almost every single other takeaway from it was completely illegitimate. <laughs> yeah, completely useless. So – yeah, that's that's that. I think uh, either of the Clippers' losses would have to be considered the worst one, just because, like you said, it's it means the most going forward. I I'm pretty certain that we're going to get an LA LA postseason series, which would just be great from a coverage perspective to not have to move around at all. 
Yeah, but, no, that'd be fantastic. I mean, like, it would mean, I, I guess we'd both have to go to more games, like physically, correct. but, uh, you know, like, at least it would be convenient. It's going to the same correct. office, so. Absolutely. All right. So, moving on from that, uh, to take it away from, you know, individual games. I wanted to talk about just some of the moments or pleasant surprises that have stuck out to you from the first half of the season. And I actually kind of want to start it off myself because sure. one of them happened today for me. <laughs> um when I saw the third round of all-star voting and discovered that Alex Caruso is now fourth among Western conference guards in all-star votes and not that far off from third place. He legitimately could pass Damian Lillard by the time the final voting for fan voting is done for this all-star game, which. And can I just say that that would be the greatest thing to ever happen to my brand personally. If Caruso, (laughs) like that would feel like I finally got Damian Lillard back just because my, (laughs) My muscular doppelganger passed him in all-star voting. Um, so I think I would have finally gotten him back for that time that he destroyed the Lakers because I tweeted mean things about him in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's kind of become a, a national pastime, apparently, to either excessively hype up Alex Caruso or to just uh, complain about all of the attention that he receives. You know, kind of one and the same at this point, I suppose. Uh, you wrote a nice piece about this for the site earlier this week about how Caruso like deals with the energy he gets and how like uh, LeBron calls him goat on a regular basis, which is just a a delightful thing to hear out loud. I mean, I was going to say that one of my favorite moments was actually when LeBron posted that Instagram story of him, AD and Caruso with the the captions brow slash goat slash King. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was incredible. And that was like an example. I, that was one of the few examples I think we've seen of like a Lakers Twitter meme actually making its way into the locker room and like, right. like not, not just into the locker room, into LeBron's mouth. Like LeBron is saying stuff that we've been joking about for like the past, I'd say probably year now. Um, but the thing to me, and this is what I wrote about, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause like, like if I could just rant for a second, first of all, like Alex Caruso is not going to make the all-star game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like he would have to probably quadruple his votes in like, what is it? They have like a week left or is it? Two I think weeks? it's a week. Yeah. It's a week left. He'd have to basically quadruple his votes in like two, in like a week period to be able to pass um, like the two guys to be able to get into the top two, to be able to pass James Harden. Cause he's, it, I mean, he's not going to catch James Harden or Luca, but like there would be no way he would catch Luca. So if we're looking mm-hmm. realistically, he'd have to pass Harden to get into the top two in the guards. And like, there's just no possible way that he's going to do that. Even if he did, 50% of the vote still goes to the media and players who each get 25%. The players don't take this seriously, but I very do seriously doubt that the players are going to in mass vote for Alex Caruso, even as hilarious as that would be if they did. Um, and the media is certainly not going to vote Alex Caruso into the All-Star game. And then if he doesn't make it as a starter, which he's not going to, there's no way the coaches are going to vote him in. Like, I'm sure coaches love Alex Caruso, but not like all-star love Alex Caruso. And so this whole thing where we're coming up with this contrived outrage and, oh, Caruso tweets are the reason ratings are down, like all this stuff, it just feels so disingenuous and like so far off the mark if you even bothered to do the tiniest bit of research into how all of this stuff works that like, I don't know, it just was annoying me. And like, it was annoying me that like someone who genuinely has a really cool story. Like he's a guy who was, he was a G leaguer during his rookie year exclusively with the Thunder kind of broke out for the Lakers a little bit in summer league was rewarded with that two-way contract in Vegas because he played so well in Lonzo Ball's absence. They felt like, okay, let's just lock this guy in. 
still spent two years as a two-way player for the Lakers, like not even a full-time NBA player, finally got rewarded by breaking out down the stretch for the second year in a row last season, gets a big con- gets an NBA contract over the summer. Like this is a guy, you know, he's like a six foot four, like wispy haired, like <laughs> white dude who tries to dunk on Rudy Gobert constantly. Like a guy like, like he basically is a walking meme. Like he's a two, he's one of the like strange 2K create players that people make just funny videos about, you know, like, or that you do just as a joke with your friends. Like Alex Caruso does not seem like a real life person. And he would be a story in any market. Like he's a bigger story because he's a Laker. But the idea that he is only like, you know, like a legitimate storyline or that people only care about him because he's a Laker or whatever. It's just so like, it's just such a lazy take to me. And so I kind of push back on all of that a little bit just because it's, you know, it's just gotten tired to me. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it's such an incredible story. The fact that he's carved out a real productive NBA career and is playing meaningful minutes for a contending team, considering where he started. It's, it's remarkable. He was exactly. I mean, the only thing I knew about Alex Caruso was that he played in this NCAA tournament game at Texas A&M where, uh, uh, you know how Seth Davis does like that Sharpie thing where he like writes the name of the team that advances? Yeah. Yeah. And so he had written uh, the name of Texas A&M's opponent and then they ended up coming back like after he had Sharpied it. So it's like the first time Seth Davis has gotten it wrong. That's all I knew about Alex Caruso, <laughs> that he was on <laughs> that team. And somehow he has blossomed into this cult figure you know who was actually pretty good at basketball which is i think the point right yeah that's the the other thing is like he's a genuinely it's not just a meme it's more than that like he's genuinely a helpful player and probably a more impactful player than most people think like just Mm -hmm. you know if you look at the advanced metrics and things like that and the other thing to me is he has not like gone out of his way to play this up or whatever like by like like you don't see him like really, I mean, he did just release like an Alex Caruso sweatshirt or whatever, but yes, he was not like season, like Kyle Kuzma, where he was out here with Kuzmania like twenty games in or whatever, <laughs> like and trying to build the brand like immediately. Like he's he's someone he seemed to kind of be a little bit weirded out by this. I think like he's finally, you know, speaking of halfway point, you know, stuff. I think he finally has gotten to the point where he's not weirded out that all of us want to talk to him after games. Like mm-hmm. I, the especially the first ten games, he would kind of turn around from his locker and be like, "Wait, like for me, like yeah. like when there was a crowd of people gathering, and it's like, yeah, Alex, like you." you know, you played well, this is what happens. Uh, Cause I don't think he's used to that until the end of the season when, you know, there are a bunch of injuries and he's one of the only guys playing to talk to. Um, and so like, he's taken it all in stride. He's not out here, like, you know, retweeting memes of himself. Even if he said some, I think this was a direct quote from him. He said some of the memes I enjoy um, because some of his like college friends, I guess, have a group chat where they just send him mm. the best memes that they find um but he's not out here campaigning for this like he's not asking to be voted into the all-star game or asking to have all these like corporate accounts appropriate lakers twitter memes to try and shamelessly gun for rts like you know like i don't know i just think like i I think it's kind of lame that he's he's become this like nba twitter villain through no Mm -hmm. fault of his own right he's sort of just become this lightning rod for criticism just based on the fact that bigger markets tend to get more attention and that has, you know, I'm, I'm sure that hasn't hurt him in, you know, developing some of his popularity. Like, I can't imagine a Caruso shirt would sell as well in other markets. Yeah. But but he'd still be a story. Like, that's exactly. my thing. He'd like, story. Yeah. He would be a story anywhere. Um, yeah. And it just goes back to my point that, like, Lakers fans are the most victimized group in pro sport, <laughs> probably history. Um, I'm just kidding. 
I mean, I, I think that's the major takeaway from the first half of the season is that we've emerged from our shell of being persecuted by the rest of the NBA community and finally started to enjoy things again. Yeah. They um, hate us because they ain't us. And like, <laughs> and like also because like, like Lakers fit, I, I think NBA fans as a whole, like are not used to like NBA Twitter when the Lakers are good. Like, and yeah. like, it wasn't a thing that much the last time the Lakers were actually really a real title contender. And, you know, I kind of don't blame them because like, you know, Lakers fan. There's a lot of Lakers fans, and they will gun for you if you have like a bad, like if you have a bad take, like you're gonna get ratioed and stuff like that. And I get why people can get annoyed with the sheer volume of Lakers fans, but like that's just what it is when you're the most successful franchise in like in NBA history. Like you build up this giant fan base, and you have some of the most iconic players in NBA history, and like you won your titles when it wasn't just playing against accountants, unlike the Celtics. So like, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. Anyway, we got way off track there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so, my favorite anyway, moment of the first half. <laughs> yeah, vote for Caruso for the All Star game. That's all I'm saying. It, it's we like, only it's, have a few days left, guys. Yeah, watching everyone freak out about it has been like the funniest part of the last month to me, and it brings me so much joy. So yeah, it's incredible. I remember when the first round came in and he was at eighth. I was looking. I was like, you know, he's he's really not that far from like third. Uh, I wonder if like this becomes a thing or if other fan bases like decide that it's not okay that Caruso's this high and then he jumped up to six. <laughs> yeah, they're finally are. gonna it's, they're finally gonna lock in the last week. They're like, wait a second, we can't let him be <laughs> like Damian Lillard, can we guys? Like I don't know. He's on a better team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's that's one of my favorites. Uh I think the Caruso dunk where you know Dwight and LeBron are just jumping in joy as he's dunking is just a a moment that really really I hold near and dear to my heart. That was one of the uh, other things is like that moment kind of encapsulates it a little bit, but that was on my list as well. It's like just him gaining the trust of the team has been cool right. to see. And like, that's like an overarching thing from the LeBron calling him the goat to whatever, like guys would probably be upset if Caruso wasn't really good and wasn't really helping the team. And he was getting all this attention. Like most of exactly. the guys on the team would probably not take that that well. The fact that all of them are celebrating him with him and kind of like jumping in on the memes and stuff. Like it shows you that he has gone from more, or like he's he's not a curiosity anymore he's a genuine part of the team right and I thought what LeBron said after they played against uh who's their last game against before this Orlando game um, oh, I'm the wrong person to ask that uh, well whatever it was like in the post game he said something nice about how having Caruso's luxury whenever he comes on the floor like you may not see it in the box score stats but you feel his impact and yeah I mean that's, that's coming from LeBron James that's not coming from nobody like yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, all these games the blended together. All these games blended together for me now. That's a, that was honestly one of my takeaways. Was like it's been a lot more fun to covering a, cover a winning team, but man, is it a lot more work? Like there's just <laughs> a lot more going on. Um, and like I, I genuinely forget who they played like the night before sometimes. Yeah. So what else was on your list, Harrison? Uh, the, the only other one for me, because like a lot of the stuff, like Anthony Davis is good at basketball. Like we knew yep. that it's been more fun to watch it in person. And like, there are definitely things that I've learned about his game that I didn't necessarily know before. And like little things like that, but like a lot of it was expected. I, I think for me, 
the most fun. The, the other pleasant surprise that I had down here was just KCP starting the season the way that he did and then kind of coming out of it. Like he even talked on Danny Green's podcast. I actually thought it was like some one of the more open and like an honest interviews I've ever heard him give where he was talking about um, like how he dealt with anxiety, like play, not just not just this season, but just playing in L.A. in general, how much more scrutiny and takes there are about you when you're playing well or when you're playing bad and just how much more overall pressure there is. And it's just been really cool to see how the team really rally around him and how genuine all that chemistry is and how it really helped him kind of blossom into, you know, he's been arguably like on aggregate, like their third best player this season, maybe fourth. Like he, he's been really good. And like, it, it's just been fun to watch. It's like somebody who's also soft-spoken and like, you won't be able to tell by this podcast because I'm ranting, but like naturally <laughs> I am more soft-spoken and I'm like a little bit more wary around people and whatever, like to see KCP, like uh, who's probably like, you know, like the Laker that I would say I identify most with just in terms of like, he's a little bit awkward, like, you know, he, um, but like, he's clearly liked by his teammates and whatever, like to see him kind of blossom and come out of those struggles and be as honest as he's been about it uh, was one of the cooler moments of the season and just how the team rally around him. Yeah. I thought the way Dwight uh, spoke on his behalf when, you know, he was talking about like the social media haters about KCP. He's like, you know, we don't, we don't buy into that. We support our own guys and, uh, we know what KCP can do and we believe in him 100%. Like just the, the transformation of Dwight Howard from just complete goofball into yes. venerated locker room presence is something that I was not prepared for. Um, I'm still having difficulty coming to terms with, but yeah, I think uh, just a couple other things to add to that list uh, in terms of AD being very good at basketball. The one moment that sort of like crystallizes ad for me is um when he just took the ball away from brandon ingram at the end of the new first new orleans game uh when new orleans was inbounding yeah he just, just very, does uh, things poetic once a game. moment you know yeah, he just like, does things once a game where you're like that should not be possible for someone yeah. his size yeah i just i mean i like the the symbolism of it too he's yeah. just like literally taking away from brandon ingram it's moving on to a new era. I mean, Uh, yeah, there is a little bit of like, uh, of like of storyline significance there. Like it's almost, it's almost written for like a sports movie as like a little bit. I love that stuff. I love describing a little extra meaning to things that probably don't deserve it. Yeah. But, uh, I thought, uh, LeBron's dunk on Bielitsa when they played the Kings was ridiculous. Um, it's nice to know that he still has that level, even at age 35. Well, he did um, just miss a dunk last night, so he may have used it all up on b But yeah, I literally shrieked when he made that dunk, like on press row. I very rarely lose my cool there, but like it was just so violent. Like I, I genuinely was concerned for Bielitsa's safety. Like, <laughs> And then um, Rondo's first quarter against OKC. I know you brought that up when you talked about the best win. Uh, I forgot what it looks like when Rondo tries to score. It's such a rare thing. He's so interested in passing. Like I, I get that's that's his natural demeanor. It's what he likes to do on a basketball court. I it had just I I was so unprepared for it because I haven't seen Rondo be that aggressive to attack the basket since he was like in Boston. So just seeing like a a scoring Rajan Rondo was surprising and kind of exciting because like I'm I think I probably give Rondo a lot of a lot of crap, you know, probably too much considering what his role is on the Lakers, but to see him perform in that capacity, it was kind of a reminder of, oh yeah, like this is kind of why everybody likes him. You know, he's capable of doing very impressive things and 
If only he did those a little bit more often. Yeah, he really channeled the dark side in that game. And I think the conclusion that we can't we have to come to is like the Lakers need to somehow convince him that he's playing against Chris Paul every single game. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like they just need to show clip. They just need to like uh, like splice very quick clips of Chris Paul into their morning walkthrough film or whatever. <laughs> like just like so much so that it's almost like subliminal. But it just kind of like Rondo's like I'm really mad and I want to beat these guys tonight and I don't fully understand why. But you know, or just like keep keep mentioning Chris Paul like in the pregame locker room before the game because like man, like he just came out there like a guy that was like he was trying to settle like a 2012 debate over who the best right. point guard was between the two of them he's like many people are talking about me versus chris paul and i'm gonna prove this tonight and it's like okay ron no one's talking about that no one's but, talking about it. Yeah. yeah it's funny because i think we'd had either either a slack conversation or like on twitter or something about how i was very disinterested in that lakers okc game once i found out that lebron ad and danny green were playing and that tht was unavailable to call up from south bay so i i did not watch that game live because as you may understand like it's wasn't a whole lot of draw, but uh, I cannot believe I forgot about the Rondo Chris Paul thing until I started watching because that matchup never fails to deliver. It was yeah. no spit fight, but it was still pretty good. Yeah, no, he he did the verbal he he did the basketball version of punching of Chris Paul fight. in the face during that game. <laughs> yeah, it was much more productive for the Lakers, I would say. <laughs> All right, and then just uh, the last moment. It was actually from last night's game. Uh, Javale McGee's block on Terrence Ross was stupid like Terrence Ross I think is a slam dunk champion or at the very least he's complete completed in the slam dunk contest just incredible dunker fantastic in-game dunker uh JaVale McGee met him at the rim like in a way that I don't think anybody thought possible like it's one of those blocks where you just can hear it on the broadcast like it just feels like Terrence Ross's like soul is being sucked out of his body it was unbelievable I know JaVale McGee goes for too many blocks but that's why you should do it. Yeah, I saw that clip and like I, my elbow hurt from, from yeah. that. Like that just, yeah, I mean, I guess that's why JaVale lifts weights after games. Like you got to yeah. like, and like that's a, that's where you see the payoff. Like that was crazy. Like that was probably, that was one of the few clips I did see from last night's game. And like that just almost broke my brain a little bit. <laughs> All right. So just to bring it home, uh, do you have any predictions for how the Lakers are going to fare in this second half of the season? Uh, so I honestly do think that they're going to win the title and I know that's probably a little bit of a homer take just because I watch them more than I, and probably some of it is that I watch them, you know, right. Way more than, more any, other than I watch any other team, but yeah. I genuinely think like just watching this team night in and night out, I do think that they have enough stuff to really get that done. They need to prove it. And it would be nice if, you know, in like two weeks or whatever it is when they play the Clippers next, like if they could get the next two wins against the Clippers, that would do a lot more to kind of bolster their resume. But ultimately like, individual regular season results don't, aren't the end of the world. And like, I just think that this team has enough to really, uh, you know, like put a nice playoff run together. They just have so many, like, especially if they can add a ball handler at the trade deadline or in mm-hmm. the buyout market, or if they get Collison or whoever it may be. Like, I really do think that this is like, especially if they get that ball handler, this is almost a flawless team. Yeah, you know, I had some uh, much smaller scale predictions that I don't want to give now because I want to I want to land on the note of you saying that the Lakers are going to win a title. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, 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 no. Go ahead, go ahead. You you should do it because I I have one more big one. No, I was just um. So I was looking back at the first year that I like vividly remember being a Laker fan was the year they won the title in two thousand, and they finished sixty seven and fifteen that year. So I was trying to figure out if they could get to that number. Um, 
And what I've sort of landed upon is I think the Lakers are going to win their last 11 games of the season. So by March 25th, they have to have won 56 games, uh, which means like they've got to win a couple against Philly, Houston, and Boston. And that's, uh, I mean, it's not really a prediction, but I think like I'm going to know a lot more about the Lakers by that March date than I do now because there's so many teams they haven't played yet. I just yeah. don't understand how they're going to fare against, you know, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, or Joel Embiid. And while I have ideas of how that matchup is going to work, I mean, it's the Western Conference and they still haven't played the Rockets. Like, it's very strange scheduling to me. If they so, have Anthony Davis, I, and yeah, and because they usually play the Rockets like the first night of the season or the first week. Exactly. Like, I feel like that's been a mainstay. And so it is weird that they haven't played them yet. I agree. I'm excited if they have Anthony Davis to see what Frank Vogel's game plan is on Harden and Russ, just because he's had so many different creative ones, even for individual games this year. Like, almost like he is mini game planning for a playoff series. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like it, I'm very curious to see how they attack Harden and like how much of that strategy they're willing to even reveal in the regular season but it seems like they have been really willing to go there and like test things because they're still trying to figure out how good they are right that's been one of my favorite things about frank is that they just haven't stayed the same from game to game right like he is always willing to try things and yeah sometimes they don't work which is fine but the fact that everyone on the team feels valued i think is something that you've noticed in the last few games when anthony davis is missing when rondo has been missing you know like we don't get those Quinn Cook, Troy Daniels performances against Orlando if Frank hasn't been trying them out at various points during the regular season. Yeah, and because like I, I wouldn't be, I would be, I wouldn't be shocked to see Anthony Davis get some minutes as Harden's primary defender. And I know that that sounds insane, but like especially like it may come out of necessity if he's back healthy, mm-hmm. just because like Danny Green is so foul prone. Like the, especially this season, and like KCP isn't a ton better about that all the time, right? Um, and like also he's smaller, so like Harden can bully him a little bit. Like, so I would not be surprised to see some Anthony Davis on Harden minutes. Like, I don't think it's necessarily what they'll go to right off the bat, but I, I would be really excited to watch it. Just be like, if if Anthony Davis is healthy and like kind of feeling like himself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw Anthony Davis on Kawhi, so it's not like he's incapable of guarding perimeter players, but yeah. Harden's sort of a different beast. Yeah. Um, I want to hear your final prediction now, Harrison. Okay, so my final one is that it's it's maybe not as spicy as the title one, but like uh, I, I, I wanted to guarantee they'll win the title, but uh, I'm not going to guarantee it. I just – that is my most likely outcome, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one that I have is I, I just don't see Kyle Kuzma getting traded. I just think okay. that like – the contract is too small. The, there's been so much weirdness this season that you'd be trading him, I think, at a low point in his value. And, like, I'm not – it's another one. I'm I'm a coward, so I'm not going to guarantee that he won't be <laughs> traded. But I do think that it is incredibly unlikely to the point that I really just don't foresee it for the contract reasons, for the play reasons, for how, val- how much they valued him this summer reasons. Like, I just think that you could get better value for him in the coming off season. Like, you know, when teams kind of have more of their, like, they're more willing to look towards the future where right now there are so many teams in it that they don't really want to take on a guy who like, you know, maybe he has upside, but they're trying to win right now. And who knows how he's going to fit into that? Because you really don't know how Kuz is going to fit into that kind of thing right now. So I I really just, for all those reasons, I just can't see him getting moved. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Although I'm not sure how low his value is just because we're kind of in 
a prime season where the Lakers can say, look at all of our other guys around the league, how much better they do outside of the strain of being in Los Angeles. stuck at developing guys. Just like imagine how good he'll be when he gets to you. We have great scouting. We just don't have the player development. Yeah. And, you know, like, hey, like before people get mad, like I know that they have a very different coaching staff this year. I know that Phil Handy is like a legend at player development. I, I understand all of that stuff. It's just a joke. It's not that serious. <laughs> but I don't think it's unreasonable to say like, hey, yeah, maybe Kuzma doesn't look fantastic now, but like other guys have blossomed, you know, maybe it's just and he may just for a change of scenery. More featured role. Like I, I don't think he's ever been totally comfortable this year. The subtext of all of his quotes have been that he wants the ball more and he wants to play a little bit more, you know, like he, he hasn't come out and said that, but to me, that has been my read of like reading between the lines of the kinds of things he says about like how yeah. dribbling more helped him like, you know, find a rhythm and how playing more helped him find a rhythm and how, you know, like, like giving the ball gives you a little bit more confidence and lets you kind of find the energy in it and whatever. And so like, that's been the subtext of a lot of his remarks. And so I would not be surprised to see him blossom just by feeling more comfortable somewhere else. It's funny. I was going to say that I thought he'd said all of those things because I've just read very clearly into the subtext. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway. he basically has. He stopped short of like demanding the ball or anything like that, but he, right. he's pretty close. Yeah. Well, I my... thing that I wanted to ask you about that I only thought mm-hmm. of as we went on air, but like, okay. I, I, and I'll talk about mine too, but like, what were you wrongest about going into this season? What was I most wrong about? I, I didn't think Dwight Howard had anything left in him. I was pretty convinced that he wasn't going to have any value for the Lakers this season. And that was completely wrong. I mean, he, you said there's a case to be made that KCP has been the Lakers, you know, third or fourth most important player. I think you can have that same argument about Dwight. Like when he's not on the floor, I feel his absence defensively. He, uh, he's been catching lobs. Which I didn't think he had that vertical threat left in him. He's been just a excellent, excellent teammate. Like I mentioned before about him helping KCP's morale earlier this season. Uh, never in a million years expected the Lakers to sign Dwight. And once they signed Dwight, I thought it was going to be a giant disaster that they'd end up cutting him you know, on one of his many, many guaranteed dates. So that's, that's what I was most wrong about. I, mine kind of actually goes a little bit to that. It's, I did not think that the Lakers were going to be this cohesive and drama free and just like, um, like not having just so much. um, I'm trying to think, I'm like blanking on the word right now, but like the last couple of years have just been insane. There's been power grabs all the time, just instability, like people don't like each other, allegations of backstabbing, like they've just seemed like a mess over the last couple of years. And Mm -hmm. like, I was not sure how the Vogel hire was going to go. I was cautiously optimistic based on some of the stuff that he was saying, but I also was like, like it, it all matter. Like it doesn't matter if LeBron and AD don't respect this guy or whatever. And they've come in and really seem to embrace him. I think I underrated the ass the impact that he could have just by having like competent coaching here again and like a guy that you know he doesn't stick with things for twenty games even if they're not working. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like he doesn't need like an arbitrary game sample size. Like if it's clearly just not working, he will yank things and maybe he'll try them again later. But he's not going to just go game to game to game with the same rotation, even if it's not working, because he just wants to make sure that it's not going to work like eight games into it or something like that. Like, so he's not going to play guys 20 minutes in a row. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, like I I just I think 
the, I underrated the impact that he could have and just how much like stability that this organization would have and like how just everyone would seem to be in lockstep. I don't I just don't think that I expected that. Like I got so I got so used to the drama of the last couple of years. The last year with LeBron really coming in and trying to, I think, like assert his will a little bit was extra dramatic. And you had the personality of Magic Johnson along with that and Luke Walton as a lame duck coach and whatever. And like, I just did not expect them to come out of that and be just this stable. And I think that that speaks to like Rob, like where they're stable enough to bring in a guy like Dwight Howard and not have that be a problem. And I think he's made some genuine personal growth, but just to have him completely come in and buy into his role, some of that goes to the organization and the coaching staff and the culture that the players are helping set too. Um, And just how strong all of that has been, I think is the thing that I was wrongest about. I thought that there might be some factionality. I thought that Jason Kidd may end up making some power grabs and, you know, we're halfway through the (laughs) season. We've had more Frank Jogel joking about Jason Kidd coups than we've had actual Jason Kidd coups. So like... It's a good ratio. Yeah, exactly. That's a positive ratio for the Lakers, I would say. Like I was almost wondering if that moment was going to lead to like, he was going to jinx it into existence. But like so far, you know, like so good. And this coach coaching staff has seen great the players you know have the strongest chemistry I think of any team I've ever covered um and so I think that's just what I was wrongest about I wasn't sure how this would go and if there would be a bunch of drama just because it was a contender and it was in LA and there's still plenty of time for that but so far there's been no finger pointing everyone's been in lockstep and it's kind of been incredible to watch yeah I think you hit on it perfectly just like the relative calmness and uh good health of the locker room, you know, just like the locker room culture has been so much better than I could have hoped for. And I think it's, you know, you can't discount that as one of the reasons why the Lakers have been so successful thus far. So thank you so much for your time today, Harrison. Anything uh, you want to plug before we go? Uh, the website, Silver Screen and Roll, that you were listening to the podcast of, uh, just go there. Um, I ha- I guess since I'm a guest, I think I'm allowed to plug this this time. Uh, I-, I have a movie podcast called Rewind and Reconsider, uh, where nice. we go back and reconsider childhood movies to see if they still hold up. My fiance, Mia, and I, uh, who some of you, if you've been listening to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast a long time, you've heard her reading me mailbag questions. Um, and we have our own podcast about movies now. So we've been going through the Star Wars series, trying to finish up Rise of Skywalker walker um and uh yeah but like those are the main things i I think we should have some more announcements on the podcast front here over the next week so i'll tease that but um yeah that's all i got that's cool i I enjoy you plugging your outside ventures i have listened to rewind and reconsider i don't watch the star wars movies so none of those but uh previous films like space jam it's a good podcast i highly recommend i appreciate that um so yeah Uh, Thank you all for listening. Have a nice weekend and make sure to subscribe to the Silver Screen Roll podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Take care.